Today's reading is from Deuteronomy 8 and also from Mark 1. So Deuteronomy 8, reading from verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with the manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And now going on to verse 15. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and wasteless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God... For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. We now go on to Mark 1, 9-13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. Thanks be to God for the reading. Thank you, Sue. Good morning. It's uh, great to be with you again. Uh, And uh, it's good to be connected to those uh, next door as well. I'm not sure what camera I'm looking at to say hello to them, but uh, uh, God bless them, and may God bless them as we share together. It's been good to come back and share with you again. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Joth Hunt, or Jonathan Hunt, if you prefer, and uh, I'm a regional minister, so I connect churches together, Baptist churches together, across what's called the Southern Counties Baptist Association. So my role is a bit of a messenger, really. I go from one place to another, And uh, when I was here last time, you may remember that I took a photograph of you all and I passed it on to the next church that I was 
I was attending. So the last church that I actually attended a couple of weeks ago was, um, was this church, Christ Church Chinham. So I've now got in the habit of taking photographs of every church that I go to, and then they send their greetings to you. So you sent your gre- I forget who I was going on to last time. Do you remember? Oh, I expected you to remember. Um, well, as I go p- from church to church, we pass on greetings from one to the other. So this is Christchurch Chinham. Uh, Christchurch Chinham is our only LEP church in our association. So they're actually Anglican, Methodist, URC, and Baptist. But they really do blend all that tradition together well. It's a remarkable, amazing church. There are not many people there, as they often see, because COVID was rife in uh, Basingstoke. They're based up in Basingstoke, if you're wondering where Chinham is. Um, so we didn't quite have as many as they normally do, uh, but really vibrant, effective church. So they're sending their greetings to you. So do you receive their greetings? Good, excellent. Now, I already have a photograph of you because we took that last time. So I thought we might do something slightly different this time, if that's okay. And I thought we might actually take a video of you uh, to see whether that works. So I can always go back to the photograph if I need to. But you may be wondering, where will this video go? Well, this video is going to travel just over 100 miles to Guernsey. So the next time I'm sharing with the church, so actually I've got a little bit of a break uh, over Easter, and then I've got some annual leave. So the next time I'm preaching is in May, and I'll be in Guernsey in Spurgeon Church uh, in Guernsey. So if we take a little video of you, and what we want to do is you want to send all your love, all your greetings, all your blessings. So you can either wave at them or you can send them a love sign or, or shout out greetings from Waypoint, whatever you want to do. And I'll just do a little pan video uh, of you as you do that. Is that okay? Do you need a practice? Oh, by the way, uh, those in the, in the other room, the north, north room, I'm expecting you to do this even though you're not being videoed, regardless. Um, so, are, are we, uh, do you need a practice? No, you don't need a practice. Yeah, lights, lighting's pretty good. So, are you ready? After three, three. Keep going. Don't stop. Tickles the camera. <laughs> Moves your way. That's wonderful. Do you know what, what I found really funny? Because a couple of churches I've had to do panos to get the, the photo in. So you ask people to put a hand up like this, and you start this side. And uh, what you find is as you're going across, the people over there are still waving all the way through the photo. <laughs> they don't actually realize they're no longer in the photo, you see. Um, there's a real blessing, actually. Uh, it dawned on me that as I travel from place to place, and you probably, you know, you, you meet together as a church from t- well, week, week in, week out, you probably forget, and why would you remember that there are other churches that are gathering and meeting, and that you, we are all connected. We aren't actually just these independent churches. We are interdependent. You know, what, what's happening here matters to other churches. And I hope what's happening in their place, like Chinnam, matters to you. And from time to time, not all the time, but from time to time, just stop and pray for another church. It doesn't have to be a Baptist church. It might be a Baptist church, but another church... And pray that God's blessing will be upon them. We want every church to flourish, don't we? 
You know, we, we just don't want to hear that Waypoint is doing well. We want to hear that every church across our association, our Baptist Union, but also across the whole church and the whole world is flourishing for the glory of God. Great. Well, that's part of my role and what I do to kind of connect you and keep you connected together and to support those churches. Uh, I asked Jim, you know, whether there was a series that I could fit into, and, and he said, uh, no, there wasn't. Just come and bring whatever God has laid on your heart at this time. But what I didn't know, and I don't think Jim knew this, is that uh, Jim was going to preach on being spirit-led last week. Uh, and I sent my, um, my title into Jim about the same time that he was settling on, on his passage and his theme. And my, the thing I wanted to bring to you was thinking about being led into the wilderness by the Spirit. So this is like a mini-series that I think God may have put together for this moment for you. As you enter and, and edge towards uh, Easter and that journey up to Easter Sunday. And I want to think particularly about you know, being in the wilderness and those moments when the Spirit of God takes us to the wilderness, takes us to that place that is difficult and tough. Have you ever been in the wilderness? Have you ever found yourself in a wilderness? I, uh, it's a kind of place that most of us, there are occasions, there are people like Bear Grylls, that, that's their natural habitat, isn't it? You know, they kind of love to be in the wilderness. Have you got any people like that in this church? They tend to be the minority. There's only a few that are a bit mad like that. The rest of us, as we gradually grow older, when we're younger, maybe we like the wilderness, but as we grow older, we kind of like our comfort. I, I used to love going camping. And then I got to the age of about 30 and decided actually a caravan was better than a tent. And then gradually we bought a caravan and we used the caravan and it was a pretty ropey caravan. And then we thought, we're upgrade, more comfortable chairs uh, and an oven, an oven in your caravan. So we tend to gravitate towards comfort rather than to the uncomfortable places of camping. But many years ago, when I was a youngster, I was probably about 18, I was with a group of lads and we went camping in the Isles of Skye, in a place called the Cooling Mountains. These are the Cooling Mountains, the Black Cooling Mountains. It is very much, some of you will know, I know Pete knows, knows this area. Some of you will uh, know that this is a very, very much a wilderness place. We camped on the edge of the sea, the Cooling Mountains were behind us, and one morning I woke up and the, the, uh, the roof of the tent was just above my head. And you know, when you're laying flat on the ground, I kind of looked up and thought, that doesn't look right. And then my ears opened, and I could hear the whipping of the wind flying around the tent and the rain coming down. I managed to get out of the tent to be met by another leader who was chasing a fly sheet in his underwear, shouting, get the lads out and collapse the tents, which we did. And there was this huge storm going on around us. Uh, a few hours later, a, a rescue helicopter arrived, landed right next to our tent. And all the lads were thinking, wow, we've come to be rescued. And they said, no, we're not rescuing you. But they were rescuing, or they were seeking to find a, a, a vicar. Don't trust church leaders. A vicar 
who uh, had gone walking in the mountains, the Kulin Mountains, the day before and not returned. And as we understand, actually, he was, he was well, but he had slept in a cave that night to keep himself secure. We actually left that place early because another storm was coming. A force eight gale storm was on its way. And I will never forget the scene as we got onto this boat, because we had to get onto a boat to get off the island. We got onto this boat and we looked back and the black cooling mountains were as black as could be. And these huge clouds behind it. And I thought, you know what, I never want to visit this place again. And I haven't. <laughs> Although it's a wonderful, beautiful place. The wilderness can be a frightening place to be. The wilderness can be a very uncomfortable place to be. The wilderness can be a very dangerous place to be. It's a wilderness is a kind of place you really don't want to be going. But from time to time, what we discover in Scripture is that God takes his people there. God takes those who follows, follow him to places that we might describe as the place of wilderness. And let me say to you, before you misunderstand me, there is nothing super spiritual about being in the wilderness. If the Spirit leads us there, may we go there. May we follow. May we be obedient. But don't go running to the wilderness. Don't go looking for the wilderness. Only be led into the wilderness as God leads you to that place. The people of Israel found themselves being led by God into the wilderness for 40 years. And that pattern is repeated time and time again in Scripture. We find that Abraham was in the wilderness. Moses spent time in the wilderness. People like David spent a huge amount of time in the wilderness. Elijah runs to the wilderness. Whether that was spirit-led or Elijah-led, that's probably debatable. But he finds himself and discovers God in the place of the wilderness. And so you could go on. There are times when the church, through church history, and the early church found itself in the place that it may describe as the place of wilderness. And you and I might actually say there are times in our lives that we found ourselves in a place that we would describe as a place of wilderness. Be encouraged that many have been there before you. God has led people into and out of the wilderness many, many times. But when we are led there, this is an opportunity, this is a blessing of which God might speak to us. So I want to suggest to you, in the next few minutes, just four lessons that we can learn. And you can come up with some others, and that's absolutely fine. But here are four lessons that I think can be discovered in both these passages that have been read to us, that we can learn as we find ourselves in the Spirit-led place of the wilderness. And the first one is this. We discover spiritual security in God, not ourselves. We move from a place of comfort to a place where it's uncomfortable, where things are difficult. And actually, this is a lesson for many of us in Western society where things are so comfortable. I mean, just look at this church. Things are just so good. You know, I occasionally go to Zimbabwe. And when I go to Zimbabwe, that church meets in a tent. And, and it meets in a tent when it's hot and it meets in a tent when it's cold, when it's wet and it's windy. Their tent was blown down once. That's all they have, a tent to meet in. 
We know the places of comfort. We are really blessed in this world. And we give thanks to God for it. I'm not, not locking it. We give, give thanks to God for it. But there are times when God has to say, I'm going to remove that comfort from you. Because I don't want you to be reliant on yourself. I want you to be reliant on me. And I'm going to take you a place where it's uncomfortable. When we were camping on the Isle of Skye, you know, it was not a comfortable place to be. When you think about sleeping, you know, we were sleeping just on mats. When you think about eating, we were, we were, we were cooking on those primer stoves. Do you remember those primer stoves? They used to have to pump for about 10 minutes before you got any heat into them. Well, we, we were washing in a waterfall. And if you've ever entered a waterfall in Scotland, you'll know that they are not warm. It's not an aqualisa shower in Scotland. It's freezing cold. It was an uncomfortable place to be. And the people of Israel discover that that is true of their wilderness. But also Jesus does as well. When we read that passage that was read to us in Mark, when Jesus goes into the wilderness, there's a funny little phrase that um, Mark doesn't say much about it, does he? It's really short and sweet little bit. That's, that's typical Mark, you know, gets to the point. But he does add this detail. He says in Mark 1 verse 13, and he was with the wild animals. Now, I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought, well, what does, what's Mark trying to say here? I think what Mark is, see, this is not Dr. Doolittle. This is not Jesus going to be amongst the wild animals and kind of stroking lions and bears. What he's saying is, there's danger here for Jesus. There's risk here for Jesus. There is discomfort here for Jesus. As Jesus enters his wilderness, is a place where it is not at all comfortable and kind. But why is that important? Well, we see it in Deuteronomy. We also see it in Jesus, but particularly in Deuteronomy. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I won't refer to every reference, but if you go back to it and you can look at the whole passage, you can pick out the number of times it talks about God. In fact, actually, I think it's a 14 to 15 references. How God led you. He humbled you. He walked with you. Praise the Lord your God. He led you. He brought you. He brought water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat. And the emphasis is here that as we move from the place of comfort where we have made ourselves comfortable to the place of wilderness where it's uncomfortable, what we discover is God does it. God does it. And we learn afresh that we are to lean on him in these moments. Are you in a place of wilderness today? It doesn't matter whether it's a metaphorical wilderness or a real wilderness, whatever it may be. Know that God is with you and God watches over you and God cares for you. I love this passage in Proverbs. It says, the Lord will be at your side. Proverbs 3, verse 26. The Lord will be at your side and he will keep your foot from being snared. Well, the Living Bible says it this way. For the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. 
Know that to be true today. Second lesson is this, that as we enter the wilderness, as we live within the wilderness, we discover spiritual provision. Spiritual provision. We find we had plenty, and now we are empty. Jesus, as he enters the wilderness, is to know what it is to hunger. We know that he fasted for 40 days. The people of Israel, as they go into their wilderness for 40 years, they discover very, very quickly, within days, that they're hungry. The things are tough. That There is not much food. I mean, they take some food with them, but eventually that's going to begin to run out. And they begin to think about how their physical provision is going to be met. But God wants to teach us in the place of wilderness that actually there is a greater provision that is more important. That's why actually fasting is not a bad discipline from time to time. To remind us it's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual particularly. The physical is important. We're allowed to pray, give us today our daily bread. That's, a, that's okay. But actually more important is our, is our spiritual provision. I remember fasting once actually, and I decided we were living in Harlow at the time, and I used to do this, I used to occasionally fast for 24 hours, and as part of the fast, I'd go for a walk. And I did this walk around the village called Old Harlow that we ministered in. And I walked around the village, and um, if you ever do this, this is just my wisdom for you. I decided to walk up the high street. And as I walked up the high street, and I'm praying for the high street, I passed the baker's. And the smell of fresh bread, it nearly killed me. But in that moment of fasting, God was reminding me again that it's actually his spiritual provision. We live on the word of God, not on bread. That's what feeds us. Jesus quotes that in his wilderness experience. He quotes Deuteronomy 8. He quotes it to Satan to say it is about the word of God that's important, not actually my physical provision. You, you remember the, the feeding of the 5,000? This, this, this is fascinating. The feeding of the 5,000, which is recorded in every gospel, by the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The feeding of the 5,000, they find themselves. Where do they find themselves? They go across the lake, and they're in the wilderness. And they're in the wilderness, and these 5,000 people arrive, or 5,000-plus people arrive, and they, they don't have any food at all. And then Jesus is the one who says to them, you know, how are, we, how are we going to feed them? How are we going to feed them? There is a bit of food, of course. You're all sitting there going, oh, Joth, there is food. We remember there's a little lad that brings his lunch, doesn't he? He's, he's five loaves and he's two fish. And that whole story is actually about provision and recognizing that God will provide physically, but actually the most important thing is to yearn for spiritual provision in our lives. Jesus feeds them by that small packed lunch, the only one that thought they might bring something with them. And at the end of that, in John's Gospel, it it records this. Everyone had enough. Everyone had enough. In these times when it looks like life is going to be difficult going forward, although that's a first world problem rather than a third world problem, even these, these times of challenge for us or for many, remember that God, in God, he gives enough. 
he gives enough. You have your fill. You will have your fill. In fact, actually, not only was, did everyone have enough, there were 12 baskets full. Have you ever wondered where those 12 baskets went? You know, they dawned on me the other day. I thought, did the disciples take them? Did the, uh, did the people take I like to think, I don't, I'm, I'm reading into scripture here, and you, know, you can stone me later if you want, but, but uh, I like to think that the people took the baskets home. And as they arrive home to the towns and, and villages that they came from, you know, they left with nothing. And I just love this idea that they're carrying these baskets of food back with them. They come back with plenty. You see, when we enter into the place of wilderness and we find we have nothing, so we leave the place of plenty to the place of empty, what we discover as we journey that wilderness with God is that God gives us plenty, his plenty into our lives. Are you feeling the lack of, of physical provision today? In whatever your situation, some of you are. Some of you are worried about bills and heating and all sorts of things, feeding and all that kind of stuff. And some of the people you serve particularly will be worried about that. Know, know that God is a God who gives enough. But not only enough, he gives plenty. And in our moments of emptiness, he fills us with all his good things. Not just the physical but particularly with the spiritual. And so let's move on to our third lesson. Our third lesson is that as we live in the wilderness, we discover spiritual strength, true spiritual strength. And what happens is as you wander into the place of wilderness is you can move from a place that looks strong, say, you know, from the comfort of our beds, if you want, into a place of weakness, and the place of weakness particularly that I discover in this journey of going through the wilderness in humanity is the place actually of temptation. It's fascinating that as we go into the place of wilderness, you think a kind of spiritual wilderness may be a place when we actually become more holy and righteous, but actually what we discover with the people of Israel particularly is as they journey into the place of wilderness, they discover the worst of themselves. It's interesting, isn't it, when things become difficult and tough, we suddenly, some of our deep spiritual weaknesses come to the surface. Let let me suggest a few to you. So uh, the sin, and I'm going to call it that, the sin of grumbling. The sin of grumbling. When things are tough, when things are difficult, do you start to grumble? Do you start to moan? Perhaps not in public. I was fascinated, but have you seen that program, Grumpy Old Men? And grumpy old women now. There's grumpy old women now. And that how the, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's the BBC, but whoever produced it kind of, kind of ri- raises up the beauty and the wonder of being grumpy. And, uh, and there is something about being old where pe- old people seem to think it's okay to be grumpy at a certain age. And actually, I'm feeling that a little bit. I've passed 50. I know I look 35, but I passed 50. And... Um, and as you pass 50, you do think from time to time, you think to yourself, do you know, I would like, I, I fancy a real good grump, a real good moan about things and life. And you think, I've got to 50 years, so I deserve a good grump. And when things are tough and when things are difficult, we fall into that place of moaning and groaning and grumbling about the things of life complaining 
These are the sins that the people of Israel entered into. And that sense also of quitting, of wanting to give up, of saying it's too tough. Uh, Sue, Sue and I, um, when many years ago when we were in Banbury, we took some uh, young people on a uh, camp. It was, it was only, was it two nights? Two nights. Two nights camping. Uh, I don't think these kids have ever been camping in their lives. And they had their rucksacks. And we, we parked the cars. We slept the first night. It was freezing cold, wasn't it, that first night? And then the first bit of the walk, we had to walk to the next camp. And the first bit of the walk was uphill. I tell you, we did not get to the top of the hill with a plethora of groaning and moaning and complaining and saying, I've had enough, I want to go home kind of attitude. In fact, one of them was so bad, we eventually had to take a rucksack off her and carry that on her behalf. It's remarkable how quickly as human beings we can fall into that trap. It is a temptation of which we can discover Suddenly, the worst of us appears in the place of wilderness. Jesus is tempted in lots of different ways. We don't have time to unpack that. But Jesus, too, knows temptation in the place of wilderness. He is the example of resisting temptation. The people of Israel are a good example of a humanity of those that fall into temptation. But in the place of wilderness, we can discover God's strength. Jesus is a great example where he points again to the word of God, to God himself, placing his trust in him. And what he discovers is that God brings renewed, different strength. No, it's not power. It is a power from God, but it's a different kind. It's not human power. It's not worldly power. It's a divine power that enables us to face those temptations that we see in that moment of wilderness. God is at work in his life. I love that little bit as well in Mark. Another small little bit where he said, and the angels attended him. Just love that. In our worst moment of temptations, cry out to God, and the angels may come and attend you and bring the strength of heaven into your lives. And last lesson as we we finish is that we discover spiritual promise. Spiritual promise. See, the wilderness journey is often a journey where we are moving from what we know into what we do not know. That definition of faith that we find in Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham... Sorry, no, back up. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It wasn't that long ago, back in the autumn, uh, we were in the Lake District. And uh, we, with some friends of ours, uh, we were near Oldswater. And one day, the weather was not great. It was kind of misty, murky day. We spent a bit of time around Oldswater, and we decided that we would go over to Windermere. If anyone knows that area, you can drive over to Windermere. So we went up over the pass. But as we got, drove further and further up, we suddenly realized that the cloud that had been causing all this mist and murk was sitting on top of the mountain. And we entered into first mist and then fog and then deep fog. We could hardly see the road in front of us. Have you ever been in that situation where the fog is really deep and thick? And we could not see ahead. 
We just had to trust that someone had put the road there. That it was theirs. The, the, the route was in place. And often our spiritual lives are like that. And actually we've known that, haven't we, over these last few years. We have known a place when we knew everything. Everything was normal. And then suddenly everything become, became unnormal. And we're walking and we're journeying and we're traveling into a place that's just thick. And I guess, I think for some extent, that's probably true still in this moment. We don't really know quite what is going to happen. Of course, Ukraine and Russia is adding to that unknownness of our lives. And we're journeying through the fog. And we're trusting that there's a path in front of us. And this is what the wilderness teaches us. It teaches us that as we journey, we do not know. But what we do know is that God goes before us. You know, as we traveled over that past the Windermere, we knew that someone had gone before us and laid the concrete road in its place. God has gone before us and he's laid a path for us. He knows the direction that we're going in. And faith is not about knowing where we're going. It's about knowing who leads us. The person who we put our hand in. And we may say, Lord, we haven't got a clue. And that's the story of Abraham. Abraham was commended for his faith because he trusted in God. He put his hand in God and he said, I will go where I do not know where I'm going. It's a funny place to go, isn't it? I mean, most of us do not go on a journey when we don't know what the destination is. But Abraham discovered that he could put his hand in God and travel and follow in the direction of God, not knowing where God would eventually lead him, but knowing that God would lead him. And that his faith was not in where he will end up, but in his companion, Yahweh, his Lord, Master, Father and Friend. In the place of wilderness as we travel and journey, we discover the spiritual promise that God is with us. Do you trust that promise? Do you trust that promise? This was the promise that God gave to the people of Israel. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land with brooks, streams, deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, pomegranates olive oil, honey. A land where bread will no longer be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. This is Jesus' promise to his church. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth. Here's our promise. Well, there's so many promises that I could, could have pulled out, but here's, here's the precious promise. If you find yourself being led by the Spirit of God into the place of wilderness, be reassured that although you may not see what it looks like, what the future is, that the promise of the Spirit of God who will be your companion, who will be your advocate, that word paraclete, by the way, that's the, the Greek word, means, means, it means lots of things, but it means the one who comes alongside and journeys with you. And as we journey into the unknown, the Spirit of God journeys with us. 
Let's just take a moment just to be still. Just close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, you might just want to just lift your hands and just receive from what God is saying. There have been, I've said a number of things. And some of those things are very specific to specific people. So as you lift your hands, just receive those from God now. Allow him to minister to your heart and into your life. Just take a moment. We're just going to take a moment of stillness and then the band are going to lead us in worship. But in that moment of stillness, allow the Spirit of God just to minister to you. And if you're sensing God is saying something to you, seek someone out to pray with you later that the blessing of God will be upon you. And if you're in that place of wilderness, whatever it may be, may you know him saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you.